Welcome to the Index Podcast, hosted by Alex Kahaya. Plug in as we explore new frontiers with Web3 and the decentralized future. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Index, brought to you by The Graph, where we talk with entrepreneurs building the next wave of the internet. I'm your host, Alex Kahaya, and today... On the index, I'm excited to welcome Web3 futurist Al Morris and CEO of Koi. The Koi team is building the foundation for a more fair community-owned internet with a decentralized protocol and storage, bringing true decentralizations to dApps in Web3. Thanks so much for being here today. Hey, yeah, great to be on the pod. Tell me a little bit more about your journey, how you got into the space and, and what you're building. So it's a long story to get back to how I got into the space, but being in kind of in and around ad tech in like 2016 was pretty crazy. It was around like specifically the, the last election cycle in the US. It got kind of nuts. There was a lot of misinformation, a lot of propaganda. And it's been going on for like quite a while. But it's like the internet just basically got too good at what it was supposed to do, which is sharing ideas. And we're trying to put a lid back on that a little bit and give people some power, over it, which blockchain seems to be the perfect way to do that, right? It's uh, sort of liberates people in a very, very realistic way so that you can actually create these economies and so on. So we let people take all their computers together. They make a node network and that allows you to just store and share information. How did you get into crypto? I was working in the ad tech space. I had worked in robotics for a little while. I was kind of just looking for a way to create some technology that would actually make a difference to people. And it seemed like the closer and closer I got to the internet, the more that that seemed like it was going to do the right thing. And then I got into the ad tech world and started to see that that was kind of the opposite of what they were doing, you know, just to open things up. So I went to a lot of uh, crypto meetups. I was working on a tool to peer review the web at one point. We had a Chrome extension. We were letting people kind of leave comments on different websites, basically say if something was potentially misinformation or something that was like misleading. And we started looking for a way to pay people. So we looked into crypto and that seemed like a really good way to do it. Went to a lot of ETH meetups. We eventually started um, an organization called We Teach Blockchain in Chicago, which was very fun. So we had a oh, small cool. school and we, we taught people like all day for about, this was like three years, basically, from like the 2017 bubble up until like the, the latest run when we actually got quite off the ground and stuff. But a lot of that team now works with the, the Secret Network. Okay. Yeah, I'm familiar with them. And so how does Koi work? I'm just like reading up on it earlier today before our call and I want to make sure everybody who's listening kind of understands the value prop and just how like how it functions. So the, the trick here is that essentially with all of the other proof of whatever algorithms that allow you to create currency, it's not really a one-to-one. It's usually like a large network of devices doing the work to create the new currency. So the thing with Koi is we're creating the currency based on the attention that you get from another person directly. So when you have that proof of real traffic from another person, that allows you to be part of the daily minting and you get new tokens, which happens like twice a day, technically. All these new tokens are created essentially based on just the amount of attention that you give to other people. And so there's kind of a controlled, a controlled inflation, controlled supply of this new currency that we've created. And it um, is used to fund services within the network. So if you wanted to build a social media app or something like that, then you can use the Koi nodes in the network and you can pay them with the Koi token. Very interesting. And, and so it's kind of any kind of content system could be built on this. Yeah, there's a lot. If you look at the way that Web3 has been evolving, there's a lot of limitations with the current tech stack. So we're kind of hoping to build the application layer. It'll make it really easy for people to get into this and to try and build full stack applications, you know, things that would look like normal web apps that aren't as difficult for people to use. But to do that in a fully decentralized and self-sovereign way where people still have control of their keys and they're not like kind of giving up control to too many third parties, which we've mostly been able to do. This is sort of the neat thing that we've accomplished on the architecture side. Essentially, we as opposed to having a blockchain for all the uh, consensus processes, we have off-chain consensus processes where people stake tokens and they perform what are called COI tasks. 
And these let you create kind of composable microservices. So you can host like anything from a web app to, uh, you know, a search algorithm if you really wanted to. Interesting. So can you explain more about how that consensus works and these ta- the Koi tasks? Uh, so the neat thing is each task is able to configure its own consensus process, essentially. So it might sound a little hokey, but basically each node gets their access to kind of a developer environment inside the node. It's all written in JavaScript, but you can generate different types of proofs to verify different types of activity. So if you're doing something in web scripting, for example, you would probably create, well, the way that we've been doing it is we have two layers of nodes. We have one layer of nodes that aggregates data from other nodes, and then we have worker nodes that go and actually do the web scraping. And this is like basically a way of writing a crawler that runs on thousands of computers, ideally. And so the way you do this, though, is you have a little incentive mechanisms and little incentive games for each of these layers of the system. So each kind of layer of these nodes is able to stake tokens and provide a small service, and then you layer these upon each other, and that's how we create a layer N network, as we call it. But the idea is it's fully composable web stack, so you can use, you know, potentially one service for all of the thumbnail compression that needs to happen in the whole network, and then every service that's within the system can use that same service that's available. So you can kind of stack these things on top of each other. So if you needed to have something, for example, that caches images, you can get it to do that on a kind of a general scale across you know, thousands of devices pretty well. Does the developer who is offering the microservice have input to how the consensus is created for that service? or like, And what does that look like? There's a general framework called gradual consensus that we created, which is basically it's a two-epoch structure. So you have two periods of time. The first period of time is submitting payloads. Uh, usually some kind of a proof verification process. And the work can all happen off-chain, but you create little proofs that you can use to verify what's happening, and then the nodes can look at each other and decide if they want to slash their stake or distribute a reward. And so you kind of write these... Each of the types of middleware functions that you would want to run on this network, you can take some templates of how to do certain types of activities. So if you want to have an API that does something, there's certain ways to audit an API. If you want to have something that compresses data, there's certain ways to audit that. So you can just kind of take these different cookie-cutter audits and put them together into a framework. So that's sort of what the Koi tasks accomplish. We're working on a lot of templates for this at the moment, but the idea is to provide it as kind of a cookie cutter box because there's only so many different types of things that you would ask a computer to do, and there's only so many different types of audits for each of those things. It's more of a toolbox than it is a general consensus algorithm. Hmm. Interesting. And what do you guys use actually use blockchain for? Is it just for like, you know, sending like transactions or something or... Well, so blockchains are really good for sequencing data. Um, so yeah, transaction processing is a really good place to put them. Also, voting on task execution happens uh, in our blockchain. But the the general point of it is that you don't necessarily want everything to go into blockchain. Mostly, mostly what a blockchain is extremely good for. Like we, we're currently working with the fork of Solana that we've created out of the need to be able to sequence a ton of these votes. And so we can do this proof of history algorithm and we can do two epochs a day and compress a whole bunch of votes into a tiny little binary stream. And that's what goes on the blockchain and then that gets backed up into storage layers. So that goes over to Arweave or you know, Filecoin or something like that and we store it so that people can access it there. So there's no actual blockchain, really. It just It's a consensus machine that then puts data into decentralized storage. Got it. And so the decentralized storage, are they separate from these like microservices? Yeah, at the moment, there's already there's already tons of decentralized storage networks out there. So you don't actually need to rewrite this one. You know, like our Weave and Filecoin have already done this extremely well. IPFS has been around now. It's like pretty mature technology. And so the neat thing about this is that if you just create these kind of scalable microservices on top of it, the real value comes from having identity on the system. If you have an identity and you're trusted within the network, then you can accomplish various types of tasks and we'll trust you to create all that data and put it into the storage layer. And the Koi token is what's used to reward people for providing these services. And like as a user, do I pay people in Koi or is it just emitted like via emissions or some kind of, or is it kind of a combo of both? The tokens are only created through the attention game. 
And so the tokens that are being minted every day are coming from direct attention between two human beings. It's kind of the foundation of social trust. So we've created it so that the new tokens that are generated go to the people who are receiving attention. At the same time, though, each task has a bounty associated with it. And so if you run a bunch of these bounty tasks on your node, then you can earn a bunch of tokens for that. Our kind of core blockchain is very small. So the developer kind of pays for that, right? Like as a developer, if I'm running an application that's providing a service and getting a ton of attention, I would like budget some tokens to compensate people for doing these workloads. Exactly. It's like Uber or Airbnb, but for your computer and for your like digital identity. Really cool architecture, man. It's really fascinating. We're trying to see what we can do with it. It seems like there's a lot of opportunities. So there's things like bridging, where it'd be great to have way more validators on every bridge because it would reduce the likelihood of hacks. So you could get to like 10,000 validators and they had very low collateral each, then it would make a significant advancement in the efficiency of these bridges, right? Or like DeFi markets are a similar one. Anywhere where you have an Oracle with a gigantic amount of stake behind it, the lower you can get that collateral, the more efficient the market becomes. How do you view this software in these microservices interacting with like other blockchains? Ah, so that's one of the best parts. Inside of all of this is our Finny wallet, uh, which is an SDK that we created that has a number of major blockchains kind of wrapped into one. And so when you create an identity on one of these nodes, you optionally can create a bunch of these other identities across different blockchains. And as a part of running a task, you may be asked to write to multiple different blockchains. So maybe if you're doing a bridge, you're writing to Ethereum and to Solana, and your node is actually going to be paying those gas fees on both sides to earn the bounty from the Koi side down the line. Sometimes you have to pay gas fees for these things, for example. Right. Like, yeah, like on a different network or whatever. And you kind of convert that in the back end. Yeah, exactly. So the, the idea is essentially that each node has a wallet that has all kinds of different tokens in it if they want to run certain tasks. So we're working with, to create a number of fiat on-ramps so people will be able to buy tokens to stake against whichever tasks they need to do or to pay gas fees. So then you can become a bridge validator, for example, from your home computer. What tokens are supported in the wallet today? So at the moment we have Ethereum, we have now, I think Nier is coming online, Solana. The new K2 layer is slightly separate from our weave. We used to have a token in our weave, now it's uh, separate on the Solana fork. And then we have, I think, Filecoin should be coming online pretty soon. And we're hoping to introduce a lot more of them too. Polkadot's kind of on the list as well. So you can essentially write applications that function on multiple chains that way, uh, leveraging the wallet and the way that this app just provides all these like services for various tasks. Is there like a list or something where I can see the kinds of tasks that nodes provide? We've been working on a longer one. There's been a number of blog posts. We're going to keep putting out some tutorials for the next little while. Uh, right now we use them for things like web scraping, which we've been testing extensively. That's kind of where we started out. We can do thumbnail compression pretty well with these to make like, you know, scaled down images to show in a list view or something like that. We've looked at doing indexing of a variety of sorts and like kind of holding various data. The cool thing about these though, that especially with the bridging, uh, we've played with bridging a bit as well. The thing with bridging though, that's cool is you can audit a variety of cross chain interactions of a node by knowing all of their keys across those different chains. And so my node can watch your node do something. And all I need is a couple of RPC keys and I can go and watch what you're doing and I can make sure that you're doing it correctly. So then I can give you a reward in a separate environment that's completely unattached to that situation where you're paying those gas fees and moving those things around on these other chains. Interesting. Yeah, you can even do this in bulk, which is very nice. What led to this insight to structure it this way? I'm just curious. I tried building on most of the main blockchains that are around. We used to, uh, we were teaching a lot of people through reteachblockchain.org. We had this kind of school in Chicago for a while and we were talking to a lot of people about trying to get them into it. And most people had a hard time with the idea of learning Solidity or learning Rust just so that they could try out this new kind of technology, right? Like most of the, there's like 13 million JavaScript developers in the world. 
And mostly the thing that they're missing is it's not about like some kind of masterful consensus process or like very complicated computer science. It's mostly about just the game that people are playing. And if you can create the games, then things tend to work. So we just, we've just been, I've just been talking about this idea for a very long time, talking to a lot of people. Uh, a lot of our core team has been thinking about this for a while as well. Uh, Ivan on tech, Abel, one of our uh, kind of co-founders on the technical side was from there for a while. So we've just been trying to find ways to onboard more people to this decentralization thing. If it doesn't work in the near future, the world starts looking like a very scary place. You know, if the internet continues to just be one giant company that's feeding us most of our information, it seems a little strange. We've all just been like working on ways to make this a lot easier for people. And it seems like the most composable way to do it. So at this point, actually, the, the neat thing too, is if you are interested in using these things, if you're listening, you can get basically free tokens from our foundation and you can try out using the network because all these people want to do things with their nodes. And there's about, I think we're at like 43,000 devices pre-registered now. So these people all want to do stuff on their computers and you can pay them to use their computer. It's kind of like Uber or Airbnb, same principle. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I mean, bringing the barrier to entry down for developers and making it as composable as possible is the way to go. And I think that's like the biggest, you know, a lot of this show focuses on trying to help people understand what this whole space is all about. And that really is it right there, right? Like Web3 is all about being open and permissionless and open source and making things composable so people can just move faster. And I think like something like this is definitely needed so that, you know, normal developers don't have to learn all the hard blockchain stuff. They can just use, you know, the, the tools you built to really quickly build applications that are useful for people. I do wonder how, like with the other change, you know, there's still like some specific layers that they're going to need to interact with, that developers are going to need to interact with. Like, how do you handle that, right? Like if there's like an NFT application I want to write on Solana and use use your your framework to help build that faster, how do I how do I handle interacting with you know that NFT framework, for example? Oh, that's easy. You do it exactly the same way you would do it otherwise, except that instead of having a key that owns your smart contract or having like a group of people that run a multi-sig, you just have a group of people that are staking tokens to have the multi-sig control of that contract. And it can be a contract on any blockchain. And you just you share that burden between a group of people so that it's a bit more decentralized. And it kind of creates this, it's it's not entirely decentralized, like it's not exactly the original world computer idea, but it gets you closer to it in a very fast way. And then I think you can spread it out. We have this idea for a content collective, which is basically like a group of people who use their shared computing resources to pool information. And then if they can mine a lot of attention tokens on it, they can refill a bounty pool to keep filling up this, this pool, right? And theoretically, a content collective like that could include billions of people, ideally, or rather it should, right? So the goal is that you can completely redefine the relationship between information and people. So people are actually able to just create information on the fly and they have this access to computing resources. And if they get enough attention, then they can pay for this. It sort of worked last year, though. We did a pilot for eight months, and uh, we got like 30 million views on the network, and about like 40, you know, 40 plus thousand devices are now signed up. So it, if it continues to go at that pace, then we just basically have infinite uh, storage and compute for everybody to play with. It should be lots of fun. And there's, the other side of this too is like uh, things like the graph are obviously hugely important for this because there's a ton of subsidiary services that are needed for this kind of an economy to grow. And so if you want to have all these JavaScript developers jump in, this is like WordPress, right? Like in the early days of the internet, there was. For a while, you had to get your Apache server set up, and then you had to configure all your like firewall settings, and then you could get your port for it. Like, there's all these layers of things you had to do to set up a WordPress server at the beginning, and then GoDaddy was like, boom, one click. But all the pieces are still there behind the scenes. You know, they all need to be there for it to work. Yeah, I totally agree. We're making a lot of progress. I mean, a lot of the stuff that's needed to make this work wasn't even available, you know, a year ago, right? Like the amount of development that's happened to make some of this stuff possible and indexing and all sorts of things like that just didn't exist. Yeah. Like one great example of this is um, verifiable random numbers. So at, at one point, 
it seemed very difficult to create verifiable randomness amongst blockchain systems. And then we needed it for different types of NFT auctions and things like this, like sort of random examples, like things that probably aren't that important in the grand scheme of things, but they're part of that big computer, right? And so once you have these proofs and there's proof libraries that are written from Rust, they're compiled into Wasm and you can use them for almost anything. And you just compose these different proofs together to create structures of logic and have some stake or bounty associated with each of them. So you've got the incentives and then you've got the proofs and you've kind of got a decentralized network then without, you know, it's anchored to blockchains, but it doesn't have to be completely on chain for it to work. I think that's, that's where we're kind of going with. We've been working on it for about two years. We're getting closer to it. Yeah. I was going to ask you how long you've been doing this. Two years. It makes sense. Just given the scope of, of what you're trying to accomplish. Like where, where are you in the life cycle of this project? Like, is it, are you in beta? Are you fully live and deployed? Like what are the, some of the user numbers you can share Yes, yeah, so we're on testnet number three now. We've done like, I think we got like about 5,000 NFTs uploaded last year. And that was like kind of the proof of the attention game. And now we're building up the task side. We're hoping to have the task nodes deploying in like the next couple of weeks, actually. So you can hopefully in the next week or two download something on basically, it'll, it'll look like installing Spotify on your computer and you just press play on different songs to begin running a task. We're hoping to make the discovery process cool too, so that you can find people who are offering a task that you want to run on your device, that kind of thing. But yeah, we're hoping to start onboarding these people in groups of uh, about 100, like the people who are currently signed up to run nodes. I don't know if we can do them that much faster than that. We want to kind of slowly start and make sure that everybody's like comfortable and that the network doesn't go too crazy. But the other thing with something like this is like it's really important to keep it from getting into the wrong hands. So we also don't want to launch the token too fast because then it's basically a botnet that is controlled by the token holders, which we want to be very careful about how that gets. You know, if we launch the token right away and then like 50% gets bought by some private equity group and then they just use it to DDoS the NSA, right? That could happen. And we don't want that to happen at all. So we're very careful about how we onboard people and keep it safe. Because you're going to have like thousands of people's laptops just running these microservices and maybe more than that. And then that's crazy. Since you guys are using a fork of Solana, though, it seems like you have a... So you do have a proof of stake blockchain sort of... Kind of at the core, yeah. At the core, right? And so does that also have a, the similar spec servers to run a validator or like, and in, in, is there a need for RPC servers and stuff like that too? Oh yeah, for sure. The core, it's called K2. That's what we call this network. It's like a subset of the coin nodes essentially. So there's a group of coin nodes that have a higher uh, stake requirement and a higher hardware requirement that they need. And they basically perform the ticker tape operation basically. So their job is to take all of the votes and all the transactions that are being sequenced and they do a Solana proof of history thing. The neat part though is that the maximum ledger size we're keeping on each node is only a hundred gigabytes. And after that, it gets stored into decentralized storage. So it's not actually like there's a blockchain. It's a consensus machine that runs on a bunch of these nodes. But the blockchain goes somewhere else. We don't we don't keep the blockchain. I suppose you could keep it if you wanted to, but it's not the point. The point is to sequence information. It could be an asset chain, but it's not necessary for it to do that. It's mostly for the compute aspect, right? Yeah, you know, I, I work with the Solana Foundation as well as have an NFT startup called Olaplexus built on Solana. So that's why I was asking because it's like similar. I'm familiar with the requirements. So it's really, I just think this architecture is very interesting and one of the innovative ways to stitch these technologies together, something I've been thinking about before this call. Yeah, it's a little hacky. We're just trying, trying to tweak all the knobs and see what we can do with it. Also, to be said for the Solana folks, a uh, huge fan of Solana. But the concept is revolutionary in every way. The, the whole proof of history thing is, I think, going to blow everybody away. It's, it, the crazy thing is it's in beta right now, right? It's still in beta. <laughs> it's just like, oh, yeah, it's just better than everything, but it's in beta. You know, so it's going to be fine. It will come around. I, I love that you guys are using a fork of it. And it, and look, it's it's additive, right? Like what you guys are doing, it, this is the whole point of open source. This is, compose, you're, this is what composable software is all about, right? Like 
you're you're building something that ideally is going to make it easier for people to build apps on Solana too, right? Like it works. It's not you guys are chain agnostic. It's just a you're providing a way to to make these microservices work and make it easier to build decentralized applications. So I think it's phenomenal. It's great. You can be completely partnership driven as far as how you roll this out with other chains and interact with other people. Yeah, we're really honestly just here to help. It's kind of like, it's almost an academic or an art exercise at this point. Like the idea would be, can we get a billion people involved? If we can get to that point, then it's just, then we fixed it. You know, the whole thing's good then. We're, you know, we can all pretty much get on with the new internet at that point. But it was just, I think it's a matter of giving everybody an incentive, right? Like everybody has to have a little edge to get them into the crypto space. And we think we can just pay them. You mentioned like the token launch and not wanting like private equity firm to like buy all the tokens up. Like, and I see on your website, the about page, you've got like 25 employees. How is this thing funded? And did you guys do fundraising yet? Or is this self-funded? And what's the plan there? We did a little bit of fundraising last year. We sold some tokens at a kind of pre-sale. We have a treasury fund, basically, that the foundation's holding on to. And so the foundation's going to just gradually sell those off until the token is in a stable state. So we built the whole network on that and hired most of the core team. We also, we gave out a decent number of the tokens as well to the community. So we have a lot of ambassadors and people like that that are actually helping build things. So those those folks are all earning a decent number of tokens. And then there's about a 3, 3%-ish inflation per year. The idea is to try and get so many people in that it, the inflation should be kind of negligible relative to the people joining. And the inflation kind of goes towards marketing mostly. So the, the idea of the token is mostly just to provide something that people can get their hands on to get started. And then hopefully we get them all into crypto. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like what what else to ask here because like, again, I just have to say like it's kind of hard for me to express for people that have not been in this space like how important this kind of project is. Are you aware of any other projects that are doing similar things or trying to solve this problem? Yeah, lots of people have done the off-chain compute stuff. I think the trick that we figured out is how to get lots of people to run nodes. So the, the flywheel from the attention economy into running a node is the real trick, I think. And that, that hopefully will help because it's the thing that's never really been done. There's a lot of attention tokens and there's a lot of utility tokens. We haven't, nobody's ever really tried to make both in one thing. How many nodes did you say you have? So there's like the me running my laptop and then there's like the professional validator RPC provider that's going to have a higher spec. How much do you have of each of those? Uh, so our pre-sale crowd have all agreed to run nodes during the whole vesting period. So they get their tokens gradually and they get to unlock them from a vesting contract that's built into their staking node. So that crowd, I think, is like, I think 40 or 50 probably that'll be running like these kind of K2 validators. It'll be the core of the little consensus algorithm that sequences things. And then as far as the actual like public nodes go, we've got 40, 40 plus thousand devices RSVP'd. We have to start onboarding them. We can only take them on in, in small scale, though, of course, because uh, we want to keep the network stable and make sure things work out properly. But Wow, congrats, man. This is like super cool. What kinds of problems have you not figured out yet that you need help with? I mean, this is open source software and people listening might know people are want to contribute. Like, What are the hard things that you still haven't figured out that you'd want to call to action to to help solve? So. It's like, I used to be in industrial engineering. The thing that we're trying to build now is sort of the, uh, we need to build all the pieces so we can build the assembly line. That's the next step. So that's what all these templates that we're working on will be. But we've got a number of these kind of design challenges out there. Like if you wanted to write a Koi task that does indexing or a Koi task that does blockchain data reads and writes or caches some useful data for different systems, it provides an IPFS node, whatever it is that you would like to write a Koi task to do, it's probably useful to someone else as well. So at this point, we're kind of looking for people who want to help us build out uh, sort of the core infrastructure. Uh, the neat thing is that many of these Koi tasks will probably accept fees. And so they might become kind of little self-sustaining vending machines. And if you get the first one in there and it becomes a, you know, a fairly well-recognized one, it might be useful to everybody in the whole network. So you might get to create the image compression 
task that everybody uses, uh, or you might be able to create the web scraping task that everybody uses. We're very open at this point to supporting anybody who wants to work on the system. But there's a there's a ton of ways to do it. Even if somebody wanted to build a bridge at this point, you know, you could start building one core task that does a bridge between two networks and start using that as just a bridge and advertise that to people. Or you could integrate it into our Finny wallet, which has about like twenty thousand users, and you could bridge tokens within the Finny wallet for people. I'm sure some people would appreciate that. Well, if you're listening to this and you want to get involved, those are some opportunities. What's the best way for people to reach out to your team? We've got a Discord, discord.gg slash Koi, and uh, Twitter is always great. We're usually on there talking about stuff. For developers who want to reach out as well, there's a grants page on the homepage. So if you uh, just click the grants button, you can send us a crazy idea, and we'll probably get back to you and give you a bunch of tokens to run on the network. Basically, at this point, we have we have more Uber drivers than we have passengers. So we need people to go and you know hire all these drivers with Foundation Treasury, and we can try and figure out what we want to do with this gigantic bot network building. And we have to keep it in the right in the right hands as well. So we need to find the right people to work with as well. That's the tricky bit. What have I not asked you that I should have asked? I don't know if it's something you should have asked, but it's something I like to talk about a little bit, which is that basically uh, throughout history, almost every time the microphone has been the control point. I ironically run a podcast, but microphone, uh, like the, <laughs> the focus, the spotlight, like the spotlight has always been the thing that dominated people's minds. And so there's always been this thing where you don't really have, you don't have your life. You have your life. And there's a spotlight. Someone puts the spotlight on something. You know, they, they used to be very basic with it, the theaters and things like that. And then they got progressively better at it. And they went from the coliseums to you know football or something like that, right? Now we've gotten very good at pointing the spotlight. And I think the, the very cool thing about the internet that everybody should remember is that the internet is the spotlight. You can make it now. You can just like share it direct to all kinds of other people. And if you do it right, you can actually make significant changes in the world. We need to disintermediate that system. Otherwise, it's not quite going to work. So hopefully everybody uses the internet as it's meant to be used and doesn't, you know, run away before the the world collapses. It might be going the wrong direction too, which is terrifying. It seems like things are getting less and less stable every year. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I I agree with you, and I think that's why we're all in this space, right? Trying to trying to build a better future with this technology. Well, look, Al, thanks so much for taking the time to get on the on the call. Very interesting technology, and and really happy that we got to connect. Yeah, it's been a pleasure talking to you, actually. It's been great. Thank you for all the great questions. You just heard the Index Podcast with your host, Alex Kahaya. If you enjoyed this episode, please give the show a five-star rating and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or your favorite streaming platform. New episodes available every other Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in.